and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and this is the show where we work out what makes us happy one person at a time. Can I start by saying thank you so much for all of your feedback on Apple Podcasts. It's just thrilling to hear which episodes have really touched you, including this lovely message from Lioness Jan, who said, hello Lioness Jan, who says, just listen to the Gok One episode. I'm a mum of a recovering anorexic who recently gave birth to a healthy baby, a miracle in itself. My daughter is still struggling with anorexia and I know it will be with her forever. So thank you to Gok. Everything you said made complete sense to me. Oh, Jan, thank you for sharing that. That takes some real courage to do so. I really, really appreciate your message. So much love to you. So much love to your daughter and so much love to your brand new grandchild as well. It is just so heartening when people come back years later to say that things we've put out there are still resonating because that Gok episode was right back from when we started doing Happy Place. Now, on to today. Our guest on Happy Place is Jared Kite. This was a revelation for me years ago to realize that every single human being on the planet is unique. No one has ever been me before yeah. and never will be again. Mm. This is a one-shot deal, yeah. me and you and everyone. It's one of those episodes with just many thrilling and interesting tangents. It's going to make your head spin and you're going to take away so much from me, I promise. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And now, here's the show. When I first met the chap I'm going to chat to today, his name is Jared Kite. I found out about him through a friend and was intrigued as to what his whole thing was about because all I knew was he was called Jared Kite and he did something called five element acupuncture. I know, what is that? Well, I'm going to ask him and he can explain exactly what it means and how it could affect all of our lives and also just to sort of drain some wisdom from him because my god he is a wise guy let's go say hello here we go we're in hi we seen jared hello mr kite good morning <laughs> how are you very well thank you right so there is so many things i need to ask you so what you do with five element acupuncture mm-hmm. is try and pinpoint what that emotion is or are you first of all looking at because we haven't even delved into this yet what one of those five elements that person is because that's essentially what you're looking for right 
when another human being sits in front of you, the, fir- the first thing we have to do is establish rapport, which means I've got to be at one with you. This is, this is part of the Taoist tradition. Taoism is this concept that everything is one and the same. There are differentiations in the world, but essentially there's this kind of core truth to everything. So when I'm sitting here looking, you, looking in your eyes, there is a sense of oneness, or there should be, mm. that you and I meet as human beings. We recognize we're both human beings, and then we recognize the differences between us. So I recognize that you look different from me, that you react differently from me. And then we're looking whether we can kind of go on this journey of experiencing ourselves as unique beings, but hold the oneness. So that's what you're doing when you first meet someone. It's just saying, okay, are we at one? That's called rapport. So yes, we're at one, you and I together. And then I say, okay, but what's getting in the way now of that oneness? Ah. Or you could call it, what's disturbing the peace? The idea is that when you and I meet as human beings, that is a state of peace. That is a state of calm, balance, harmony, all the, all the buzzwords we know. And then what gets in the way? What disturbs that? Mm. And the thing that disturbs it is where the person struggles. And that's the diagnosis. That's what you treat. Wow. And whilst you're doing that, so I've been to see you millions of times over the yeah. years. And you will say several things um, that you relate to the element that I am. Am I right in saying that I'm wood? Because there's wood, fire, earth, metal, water. Yeah. Right? So what? So what? What? It's important that we don't turn this into like a kind of a horoscope type thing. No. So all human beings are made up of the natural elements we find in nature because we are a part of nature. We're at one with nature. Yeah. Or should be. So. The reason that we break it down into the five elements is simply a model where we can say, okay, which bit of this person, which aspect of them is malfunctioning and how is that affecting the other elements? So the theory is that in every human being composed of the five elements, one of them is weaker than the others. You're born with it and you die with it. And that is like the glitch in your system. And what is that, that, genetics? Is that how... Well, that's a good question. Hmm. It's, you know, some people say it's formed very early on in life. Some people say it's like some kind of karmic thing you're born with. Wow. Some people say it's just some kind of random, chaotic part of evolution. For our purposes, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. What I do know from experience, well, from what I was taught and from what I've seen in practice, is it doesn't change. Once you've diagnosed it and you treat it, you see very clearly that this is the most effective way to help the person because you've isolated their Achilles heel. Yeah. This is the bit in them that will always trip them up if they're going to trip. And you've said several things to me over the years about what that weakness might mean and also in a very mm. visual sense. So like the colour of the skin by the corner of your eye will depend yeah. on what you're weak in and the smell of you. So what? So when when the elements in distress um, exhibits symptoms, you see them through your own senses. So the, that's that's why the diagnosis is never about what you tell me; it's what I actually experience of you. So my senses are that I can see. So I look for a color in the face. So for example, in in your case with wood, the predominant color is green here, and it shows nicely by the side of the face. Mm, a lovely green eye. Love that. Green, yeah. And then, uh, so that's what I see. And then what I hear is you hear that there's, there's a, a kind of a punch in the voice. And that's what we call a shout. <laughs> and that's where you see the wood. The wood, I mean, obviously there's not wood in human beings. We're talking about 
the capacity to grow and expand. Mm. That's what wood does in nature. We see it grow in spring and expand through the year. Um, so you expect to see that in a human being and hear it in the voice. So if that's not growing properly, it, it's kind of emphasized as like a punch. Like, hey, how are you? It's got this kind of <laughs> bump, bump, bump. And that, I mean, with all respect, that starts to grate on you. Mm, I'm because sure many would agree. You know, an hour with someone, <laughs> you notice that no matter what they talk about, they keep kind of talking at you. Mm. So it has this, uh, uh, which is that thing of wanting to move forward. Right. So, that was, so we had the color green. The sound um, yeah. is shout or, or kind of punctuated sound. The odor is rancid. Nice. And the rancid is that the, the associated organs in the human body for the wood element are the liver and the gallbladder, and they're primarily dealing with the fats in the body. So the essential fats that we need, but also making sure that they don't overwhelm us and that they're, they're um, transformed properly. So somebody who's wood, they have problems in transforming the fats on a very practical level, and you literally get a smell of rancid coming from them. So mm. that tells you that. And then the final one is the emotion, which is anger or yeah. assertiveness or a lack of assertiveness. So the wood gives us that ability to stand up like a tree and go, here I am, this is what I do, that's where I'm going. Mm. So it gives us that kind of uprightness. So you either see in, in someone an excess of that, where they are kind of overextending, overemphasizing, pushing too hard, or underachieving, under-asserting. Under and unable to move forward in life. Mm, I'm the pushy, pushy version yeah, of that. Yeah, the pushy version. For sure. Yeah. We've established that I stink yeah. and I'm slightly <laughs> green and a bit yeah. shouty. Yeah. But each of these elements has traits that you can easily recognise within the patient you're uh, working no, with. You're not, no, not easily. This is, this is the hardest thing about this tradition. Right. Is it sounds easy that you, you know, you're doing colour, sound, odour and emotion which sounds easy. But the problem is most of us, our senses are completely deadened. Hmm. You know, we, we're so mind-led in our society that we've abandoned using our senses and we intellectualize everything. So how do you, for your career, heighten that for, for your profession to, to get that accuracy? We, I mean, the training, we literally, we, we do an intensive training in France now. And the reason that we do it as an intensive where everyone lives there is because we realize that the best way to do it is to, on a daily basis, absolutely expose people to sound, color, visual, emotion. For example, we have these uh, little pots that you normally put jam in. You know, and we put like a dog poo and uh, someone's pee mm. and uh, rotting cheese and coffee and you know all the intense smells and they have to sit and smell them to wake up their sense of smell so it's like going to the you know the the smelling gym Mm. where you are literally waking up your sense of smell again isn't it such a obvious yet essential part of life that we're all weirdly numbing because i've recently been thinking about that quite a lot and sort of looking at Wim Hof videos and stuff like that online. And I've been trying to expose myself more to the elements, like having a freezing shower in the morning and getting out in the park barefoot, taking my shoes off. And we've sort of, I guess, forgotten the importance of that, you know, not just for someone who Mm. acutely needs that for their career, but actually Mm. just in life, how we've numbed it. Yeah, we don't, we don't, well, for a lot of people, they don't need it because if their life and their career and their relationships are led by their thinking mind, and if they kind of go through a logical process of ticking boxes and achieving certain things, you don't need it. But it's a half-life. 
you know yeah. it is it is a life lived through your thinking mind mm. um and it's not real you know thoughts are conflicted and they have this kind of positive or negative aspect to them so you either fall on one side of the fence or the other whereas the senses there's 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 a richness and fullness and oneness to the senses it's i mean yes we do have preferences we may prefer the smell of a banana over dog shit but <laughs> it's still a smell yeah. You know, it, but that's the mind getting involved again. You know, if you just accept that everything has a smell and it has a right to exist because it does, and it, and it you know, it gives us information about how to survive. Mm. So relating that to when you're talking to somebody um, with the banana dog poo example, mm. if they're coming to you and they are repeating the same story or they are very negative around a circumstance in their life are we saying that sort of most of that day-to-day suffering that we experience is an illusion yes the the thinking mind and this is a tough one for people to accept but no thoughts we have are real all thoughts are created so they don't have any real i mean they don't they don't they don't they don't, they don't serve us in any other way than help us steer our way through life you know, the reality is that we exist, we have a physical body, and we have then this ability to comprehend it through our mind. And it's, and it's a brilliant human tool that we have that gives us a very rich experience. But it's only one part of being a human being. So are we saying thoughts are the illusion, but the emotions are real? That's the real bit? It's kind of a bridge between the two, in a way, because thoughts can produce emotions and emotions can produce thoughts. True. So it is, it is, 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 essentially, everything is one. You know, the body, the mind, the spirit, the, all these, these concepts you hear, it's looking at a human being in its entirety and then saying, okay, so what is the body like? What is the mind like? What is the spirit like? That's what we're doing when we're looking at patients. What is the state of these three manifestations? But what you want to see is that these three are working together interacting together and supporting each other. So if somebody comes in with a story of misery and it's limiting their life and it's stopping them being able to find happiness, peace, all the things they want in life, logically, there's something wrong with the thinking. Because if you on the outside can see that there isn't a problem because you have a different perspective, then what needs to happen is that they need to shift their attention to another part of themselves that is okay. So most people that sit in front of me that have very serious problems and are crying and beating their chest are breathing, are digesting food, are sitting here with me looking at me. So from my perspective, there's nothing wrong with them. Mm. But the story is bloody awful. Yeah, I mean, we've had this chat personally many times where you've said to me at the end of a conversation, well, you're okay. And I thought, mm. no, I'm bloody not. But mm. essentially, and you, you know, you're the expert at this and you've written a book about it. Everybody is okay. Yes, and that's the essence of Taoism. And this is, this is one of the hardest things for us to accept because we believe what we think and we make calculations. So my calculation might be, well, I don't earn enough money and I don't have a partner and uh, I just got this huge tax bill and I can't go on a holiday equals I'm miserable. Right. And then we're convinced by it. Hmm. And we don't default back to simple things like I'm still breathing. I have good friendship groups. You know, I mean, the, the, the reality, the kind of really the basic fabric of life. But we, we, you know, we, are, we are convinced, particularly now with social media and everything, yes. that it is a calculation of achievements. 
And the mind loves that. The yeah. mind loves to calculate things. Is that the ego? The ego is going, right, I'm going to get on this now. Because I think a lot of people uh, misinterpret what ego means. They just think ego mm. is someone that's really like, you know, out and out, brash and flashy. Yeah. But it's not that. The ego is the part that grabs onto those stories and, and yeah. thrives with that sort of negativity. Yeah, the ego is, is the labelling system. It's about, it's the I word. I am this, I am that, I have this. So the more labels you have, the bigger you perceive yourself as. Yes. And that is the creation of the ego. And then, and, and then what can happen is that list of labels can take over and run your life. Mm. So you're no longer operating from a more sensory, um, authentic place. You're operating from this construct that has come out of a whole collection of ideas, thoughts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Images. So, you know, as you just said, the modern world has exasperated this problem. Like it's definitely heightened, you know, mm. in the last 100 years because priorities are different and... Mm-hmm. Goals are different. Well, goals exist for a start. There are all these sort of lists of achievements we think that we need. How can we collectively stop these thoughts and stories feeling so real? Because for many people, and I've felt like it myself so many times, these so-called problems or stories have felt very real. How do we diminish that and just Mm. remember the basics and get back to just going, you know what, I'm on planet Earth, I'm alive, I'm okay? So just to correct what I said earlier about thoughts not being real, at the level of thinking, they are real. Mm. Yeah. So we do, we do believe our thoughts. And of course, it has an effect on us physically and it affects the world around us. So it's real at that level. And that's level. a huge problem because you're going to get loads of people coming with physical ailments that actually yeah. have manifested from those thoughts specifically. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So we can't, we can't completely disregard it. And that's, that's why you've got to be compassionate to people that come in with their story of misery and their physical suffering. Because they have created it, but they have created it from ideas in their head versus actually what's really going on underneath. Mm. So the question as you're asking is, you know, how, how can we deal with that? I think it's firstly to recognize that that is not the sum total of who we are. We are not the sum total of our labels. And if you chuck away all the labels, the question is what's left behind that? So if you're no longer a sister, a mother, a wife, girlfriend, brother doctor, journalist, you know, you get rid of all your labels, do you still exist? Now, most people would be terrified of it's that. Ter- it is terrifying. It's terrifying. You know, it's like, like um, empty nest syndrome, you know, this whole thing of, you know, for a lot of women, they've identified as a mother for so long, an active mother, and suddenly their kids have gone, yeah. and they feel they've lost a sense of who they are because all of their attention has gone on to, I am a mother, I am a mother, I am a mother. And it's true for anyone, or you retire, you've lost your job. And that's because we're in the habit, and culturally, we are very fixated on these labels. Yeah. And successful labels, generally. So how do we do it? Is we have to recognize that they are labels. They are one aspect of who we are. But shift our attention back to 
another part of ourselves that is permanently there, doesn't change, and is totally, totally reliable. Mm. This is the bit that we've we've lost sight of, that there is a sense of self, and self with like a capital S, that is permanently there from the day we're born to the day we die, and who knows beyond. And why are we so scared at looking at that sense of self? Because I feel that fear. You know, what is beneath me, you know, doing this podcast or being a mum or being in a uh, in, in a marriage? You know, why am I so scared to look at just what's beneath it? Is it because I fear it's not enough or it's not correct? It's not okay? Well, it's not. It's you can't you can't actually think about it. This is the problem. It's not. It's beyond thought. We are so in the habit of thinking yeah. that if we try and think about this concept of the self, we can't. This is the essence of Taoism. Is I mean, the first line of the Tao Te Ching, which is this Chinese classic that talks about the nature of the Tao. It says the uh, the Tao that can be spoken of is not the constant Tao. So immediately it tells us, if you're trying to think about this, if you're trying to work out how to be at peace and happy, it's impossible because the mind cannot comprehend it. The mind only works in opposites. Is it good or is it bad? Is that a boy or is that a girl? Should I do this or should I do that? That's, that's the only way it operates. There is nothing in between. But what's behind that is the cause of that or the origin of the mind. And that's the bit that we don't step back to. There's a um, kind of expression of uh, choosing your point of perception. We perceive the world through our thinking mind. We have two eyes, two noses, two ears. So this, this, this kind of idea of, of, of right brain, left brain, that everything we look at, we look at through polarities. And we're saying, okay, is it this or is it that? Mm. But there's another part of us that is the observer of that experience. So this, this is why it's a sensory thing. So going back to how do we do it, when you start living through your senses, having your cold shower that you talked about, or smelling the dog shit or the banana, you cannot think and smell at the same time. Mm. You smell and then the mind comes in and labels it. Yes. But your senses take you back to this very pure, um, prior to polarity thinking. And it, it, the more you do that, the more you start to recognize there's this, this, this being, this sense of existing that is much more pure and simple and peaceful by nature. So it's more of a feeling and it's that feeling seconds before or milliseconds before our brain gets involved and starts whacking big stamps on everything saying, oh, it's this, it's good, it's bad, it's That's ugly, right. it's whatever. Prior to the labeling. So, so <clears throat> looking for that that sort of bit before thought, how can we implement that into our lives more? Is it just going out walking and smelling the smells, hearing the sounds, feeling the ground on our feet? Is it just simple, basic activity like that that's going to help us get into that? I was yeah. going to say mindset, but it's not. It's the opposite of that. That sort of feeling and that... State of being, state yes. State of being. I mean, a baby, a baby is not laying in its cot thinking about you know, where it's going to go later or is mummy going to come and feed it. You know, it's, it's, it's just existing. And uh, babies, from my experience, you know, they're, they're either kind of just gurgling happily away or they're calling out for something. Mm. Now, if you think about that, we were, we were all babies. We all started in that state where we were just a being and we were pretty much just operating through our senses. I mean, they say that a baby can smell the mother as she enters the room. You know, wow. So our senses were incredibly 
um, heightened and active. And then, as we started to comprehend the world through our mind, the mind took over. Mm. So yes, it is about consciously choosing to go back to a more childlike, infant-like state. Mm. I mean, kids, kids can play fantasy games and they totally believe them because they're real within their fantasy and they don't have a problem with stepping out of them again yeah. and then stepping back into them again. They've got that flexibility where they recognize, I'm now in my fantasy world and this is totally real for me right now. And I step into what we call the real world. You know? When does that start to change then? You know, when do we get so indoctrinated by culturally what is deemed inappropriate or correct? You know, when, when do we, is that a, a hormonal thing, just a evolutionary thing? You know, when do we start to lose that wonderful you know, inhibition, you know, free sort of um, sense of being, quite an animalistic sense of being, I guess. It's more intuitive and more in touch with what's, what's actually going on around us. It's part of learning how to be in the society that we're brought into. Society mm. has rules and agreements. And so our parents teach us to say, this is to, 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 to survive within this society, you have to follow these rules. And that is the activity of the mind. So we're taught about right and wrong on that kind of more mental level. I mean, we also have our own inner morality, I think, as, as, as kids. Um, but then we're taught also our, our culture's morality. And we know that around the world, people have different ideas about what's right and wrong. Mm. So I think it's, the, 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 ideally, you um, give enough attention and time to the fantasy of um, playtime, where, where human beings can stay in that more mysterious state as they learn how to be adults, as they learn how to function in the real world. Mm. But we don't do that anymore. I don't, th you know, kids, kids don't play in the same way. Yeah, a, lot a, of the, a lot of the kids that I see... You know, they, they, they're from relatively well-to-do parents. And the schools they're at, you know, give very little time for playtime. I think there was a thing recently said that kids don't have as much playtime as they used to. More and more exams, more and more expectation to be a successful child moving into adulthood. Mm. So we're stripping away that, that playtime. Such an important part of life, yeah. yeah. And also, you know, looking at how we introduce that into an adult setting because I used to spend a lot of time daydreaming which was great fun you know and it was all very innocent and positive and optimistic well, I don't really do that anymore because mm. you are almost taught that it's a waste of time that you That's should right. be proactive you should be doing and I'm a bit I'm a doer anyway so I can tip way too far into mm. that side of things but the importance of being idle I guess mm. and just sort of being and intuitively moving and interacting with people without that, you know, paranoia of what everyone thinks of you and, mm. you know, where you fit into society. It's, it has become so heightened because of how we're living and how we're yeah. socially interacting with each other. I think the key, the key thing to know the difference, because, my, well, for example, my experience of you is that you are playful, that a mm. lot of the projects you take on uh, born out of excitement and enthusiasm and it's like wow let's do this let's try this and you know you you have a very creative attitude to life but i think the key thing is is to recognize how we feel as we're doing those things yeah. if if there's a sense of peace within the excitement then yes i think it is coming from that very instinctive more childlike, playful place, and then working within the boundaries of the adult world. Yeah. But I think if it starts to f start to feel stressy, if it starts to feel exhausting, if it starts to feel um, unhealthy, then we know that's where the mind has taken over. Yes, I think that's very important. You just said that because 
Whenever I've previously looked at that example of ego and how it can um, operate and I guess usually comes from a place of fear. So even if you want to be the most successful in whatever you do, if it's the ego at play, it's because you're either feeling lacking, I guess, or you're scared of of not having power or control. Whereas like you just said, if you're doing something that feels intuitively right and you feel that connectedness, um, then that's that's not ego. You can still have challenges and goals as long as it's not tipping into the negative. Is that kind of, is that right? Yes, I would say it more simply is if it feels effortful, then it's not coming from, I use this word lightly, the right place in you. I mean, if, if, you, if you think about each human being comes with his or her unique talents. You know, we're all, we, we all come with something to offer the world. And we are all totally unique. I and mean, this, this was, this was a, a revelation for me years ago to realize that every single human being on the planet is unique. Mm. No one has ever been me before. Yeah. And never will be again. Mm. This is a one-shot deal. Yeah. Me and you and everyone. And when people, you know, feel like they're not good enough or they haven't succeeded, the fact that they exist and the fact that nature created them and they are unique, I mean, it's it's, it's gobsmacking. And on top of that, you come with something to offer. Mm. And it doesn't matter whether what you offer is just being kind to people or changing the world or creating something. It doesn't matter. Mm. But that's where the mind comes in and makes the judgments. Yeah. So for me, if you're being authentic, if you're being yourself and living your life as nature intended, it is an effortless um, evolution. Mm. I mean, we believe to succeed or to accomplish what we deem as uh, uh, you know great things requires stress, you know, blood, sweat, tears, essentially. Mm. But what you're saying is actually that's that's not. Then you're not in alignment with what you should be doing or where mm. you should be at. It doesn't have to be like that. You can still achieve greatness or do. Mm very positive good things with it being effortless in a sense but yeah and and again this is i'm sure some people listening to this will think well hang on a minute you know you do have to work hard to achieve things you do have to graft a little bit more a lot to and and yes of course you do but grafting can be great pleasure yeah i mean i've just i've just learned i had to learn german for um, a citizenship application i'm doing and i found it really cognitively difficult frustrating that I couldn't remember words and I had to discipline myself to sit and learn vocab and I had to sit with the teacher and all of that felt quite difficult but underneath it I was so excited that I had this goal that I had to achieve it and that I would get there Mm. and that that was that was the part that was the part that felt authentic that's the bit before thought so that's the feeling of it yes but even though I had to do it the way that I engaged with it was an exciting kind of peaceful feeling. Mm. But then, of course, there is the hard work. I had to put the hard work in. But the two then come together. And that's where you see this concept of the spirit being free and effortless. But as a human being with a physical body and a mind, yes, it takes effort at that level. But not in a way that is tiring or onerous or destructive. Yeah. It's, it's the resistance that build strength Mm. so me learning something takes effort and i'm going against something which creates form and strength and that is how we see nature evolve it's how we see growth happen and then destruction happen Mm. 
I mean, you know, there is a natural cycle out there. And what the natural cycle tells us is that we create and we destroy. And both of those are active. It's not a passive process living. But behind it, the driving force behind it is benign and peaceful and always returns everything to a state of balance. There's no depletion. That's what the, the sort of yeah. problem, I guess, of a lot of yeah. that's every because everyone's feeling stressed. You know, life yeah. is seemingly the most stressful it's ever been in this day and age. Yes. And a lot of it comes down to feeling depleted from butting your head against a wall mm. or desperately trying for something to happen or stop mm. it from happening. And that's the thing that we need to, to sort yeah. of look at. And again, that leads back to balance and, and what we Also, it's the, the, it's the idea of, you know, a plan for life. So kids have been asked, you know, what do you want to do? What courses are you going to study? You know, we're asking kids to know the future. I mean, they're not supposed to know it. Yeah. The future is created in any given moment. The question is, what do I want to do right now? What feels good right now? And that is the future being created. Yeah. But we're not supposed to see beyond that. Mm. Whereas the mind goes, well, what do I want to be? Where do I want to be when I'm 70? I mean, I, I catch myself doing it. <laughs> Where am I going to live when I'm 70? Who's going to look after me? And it freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. You know, the truth is, if I get up each day and I live my life appropriately and in a way that feels good and healthy to me, I am creating that future that will give me some kind of security and, and the, thing, the thing I think I need. You've offered up an example of this pendulum to me quite often. I know mm. it's something you talk to a lot of people about. Um, can you explain how that fits into our everyday lives and how we can apply this theory to our overthinking minds and uh, apply it to those default emotions that we that we swing into yeah well the pendulum I've got to credit a guy called uh, Dave Pellin who came up with the concept and he was uh, this is in the 60s he was working in Canada and he was working with drug addicts homeless people people disadvantaged people really struggling and what he recognized is that their chaotic way of thinking and their chaotic way of life um, kept them trapped in the situation they were in, kept them trapped in addiction or in kind of habitual ways of being. Um, so he thought the most important thing to do is to help people understand that their emotions or their thoughts naturally swing from highs to lows, that that is a normal thing. And he understood that by observing the, uh, the, the, the swings and the, the changes in the way we feel starts to develop a sense of yourself observing your thoughts. So he came up with a pendulum idea because the pendulum in nature, it swings backwards and forwards but always settles in the middle. That's the, the kind of the nature of uh, nature. Homeostasis, balance in the body, is that is a natural thing. The pendulum doesn't get stuck on the right or left. It always comes to center. So we know that as a natural movement in life. So it's okay, you've got one swing to the high, one swing to the low. But just like a pendulum, if you spend too long in the high, you're going to have to have an equal amount of time in the low mm. before you can come back to center. And if you attach to the high, then you're going to create a, a longer period of tension that will take you to a longer period of tension in the low. So what a lot of people do is because we're very attracted to the good things, the best things, success, we keep pushing ourselves into the high and inevitably we have to come back to the low. Yeah. And what he was promoting is this place in the middle, this peaceful, benign place where we're neither 
um, actively looking for anything outside of those states. But that doesn't mean we we can never feel high or mega low again. It's just you swing freely. Is that how it works? You oscillate with more understanding between the two emotions? It's giving greater value to the calm in the middle. I mean, now mindfulness and um, a lot of the kind of the new practices that people are doing with apps is to cultivate that state of calm, is to consciously say, okay, let's go to that midpoint. This is also the kind of the spiritual story, the same thing we talked about at the beginning, that 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 balancing point, the middle point, is the, is the, the cause or the source of the swing. So if you don't come back to center, you're losing the, uh, the authenticity of the high and of the low. So interesting because it's something I've definitely struggled with a lot over the years is accepting the value of that middle point because I am an excitement junkie and I sort yeah. of always have been. And I've always probably valued that more than anything because I feel like maybe it's more impactful or I'm actually actively doing something positive even if I'm not it it feels more weighty which as you say you know inevitably leads to you having to experience the polar opposite at some point so I guess culturally we need to look at how we value that place of peace in the middle more rather than because everything is quite extreme especially how it's depicted in the media I would say or social media that the exciting bits are the only points of value and they're the bits that make you somebody or and again it's that ego and it's that place of thought. Well, I think more importantly is it keeps the economy going. Well absolutely. I mean when you're in the middle and you're in the calm you don't really want very you much. You don't need new shoes. You know you, you know you can eat very little yeah. and you can very happily just sit there and you know look at the sky and mm. um, so that's not going to sell many products. No. So you know advertisers know that they have to excite us and draw us to the high and keep us there, but also send us to the low, so we need to get back to the high again. So, you know, if you look at, like, American advertising, almost like, you know, you are so lucky, you have psoriasis, therefore you can have our drug, (laughs) and you can look like this family that's, you know, psoriasis-free. So we have to recognize that, you know, we are being manipulated Mm. by the greater forces of our society. Um, and so our we politicians. are working against quite a lot here. You know, it's not oh, easy. We're working a... against a lot in the modern yes, world. Yes, and you know, to, uh, to to choose the calm or peace, you know, is being radical. You are a radical rebel. Yeah. Now, having said all that, the beauty of it is, is that once you've cultivated this awareness of the different swings, and you know how to bring yourself back to the calm, then you can use it in a very um, a clear way so you can say okay I'm now going to take myself to the high to do this I'm now going to take myself to the low to do this because these different states I mean they exist for for a reason to start a new project you need to find the excitement and enthusiasm and go to the high to become more reflective and prosaic about something you need to go to the low well, we know that in music, there's music that we choose to listen to it will take us into different states Absolutely. we don't always listen to high energy pop music mm. you know often we will go for some very depressing I classical music you know because and movies you know we go and see movies that we know will give us a certain state of uh, emotion when i was when i was learning about this like 30 years ago the the they had this thing called true rest which was any activity that would bring you back to that midpoint 
So we would, when we worked with clients, I was working as a psychotherapist then. If you recognize that somebody was really swinging from highs to lows or stuck on one side or the other, you would get them to work out what activities do bring them to that midpoint and then give them homework. Say, so you need to do that. So, for example, I know that if I go for a swim, that always brings me to the middle. I walk out of a swimming pool or the sea or whatever, and I can feel that I'm in this more neutral place. So that's an activity I can practically do. I love that. I, I, I'm definitely going to make a little pendulum, and I encourage most to do so. I think it's a, such a nice, yeah. easy, simple, fun, practical way of taking yeah. a look at yourself and where you're at. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a question to hopefully round things off, but it could lead us down a whole other path. But when you've got somebody on your bed here in your practice room mm -hmm. and you have identified their weaknesses or where they're at, what are you practically doing when you are sticking those little pins in people's bodies? For people that have never experienced acupuncture, know nothing about it, um, what is practically happening? The acupuncture theory is that the body is composed of energy pathways, just like the blood flowing around the body. In fact, that the, the energy pathways almost mirror the, the blood flowing around. So we are composed of blood and energy flowing around. And it is the energy that gives the life to the muscles, the bones, the internal organs, and all the emotions. So when you're diagnosing someone, so for example, in your case, so we diagnose that... The color is green. The sound is shout. So we say, okay, now I know the wood is asking for help. Then I say, okay, so which organs are wood? Liver and gallbladder. So now I know the liver and the gallbladder are saying, can you please help me? And then there are meridian pathways that relate to the liver and gallbladder. So you have the actual liver, the actual gallbladder, and then the energy pathway that comes from that and connects with all the other pathways. Mm. So all of the organs, they're like a family. They all communicate with each other. They're individual in their own right, but they also have a way of speaking to each other and maintaining this harmony. So we go to the acupuncture points along the liver and gallbladder channel. You stimulate them. You're basically waking up the function. You're saying, hey, liver, remember, you're a liver, and you're supposed to be breaking down the fats. <laughs> and liver, you're supposed to give this person the ability to see clearly and know where they're going in life. Mm -hmm. So literally, as you wake up the function of that organ and all of its associated benefits... The liver wakes up, the gallbladder wakes up, and all the others wake up. You have to find which one of the organs is screwing up the system. Mm. And once you've found it, and then you activate it, like screwing the light bulb in, all the rest go, yippee, mm. because the liver has a role for all the other organs. Mm. They're all dependent on each other. And that's the beauty of the Chinese system. They understood that all of the organs are a family. They love each other. They love their jobs, and they need each other. And if one of them gets sick, they all start to get upset and sick themselves. And also just drawing our focus onto the other organs because we give our brain so much attention. It's yeah. like the only thing that seemingly matters. And then wait a minute, what, all of these guys in here are also talking to each other? You know, when do I think about that? Never. Well, you see, in it's the so Chinese important. system, the brain, the brain is not really considered one of the active organs. Mm. The brain is the receptacle for the experience. So all the emotions emerge from the organs. So it's the activity of the organs that give us our life. The relationships, the internal relationships of our organs produce our personality. So we think our personality comes from our thinking. It's not. It comes from the, the, the balance within us. And then it's computed in the brain or the mind. 
and then delivered through thought and action. How wonderful. Which is how, why, by treating the internal organs, you can change the way the person thinks. Mm. Bloody hell. I mean, there's, I, we could do like another hour on that because it's just, it's never ending and it's so fascinating. But I think for people listening, if they are new to acupuncture and also uh, new to this, am I right in saying sort of more Eastern sort of way of thinking, this is yeah. a really fascinating uh, starting point for people to explore because there's so many avenues you can go down on this amazing conversation and subject matter. So thank you so much for your time. I mean, thank, what thank a wonderful you. hour of my day I've just spent. What a great tick start to my day, getting some of that brilliant wisdom out of your great mind. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks to my brilliant friend, Jared. God, I'm lucky. I hope he's broadened your horizons in the way that he's most definitely shaped mine. Now, if you like this conversation, you should dig into the archives of Happy Place and listen to Rebecca Dennis, another brilliant friend of mine and an expert on transformational breathwork. And to Maisie Williams, who talks a bit about her experiences of it too. Find those episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to yours. Next week... It is a biggie. If you want to find out who is going to be on Happy Place next week, head over to the Instagram account at Happy Place Official, where you shall find out. Until then, thanks again to Jared, to the producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you lovely lot for listening. See you next week. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.